0: Welcome to Equivalence by Eve List, a mission-based initiative offering an unbiased source of info to people who aspire to make informed decisions and grow their career in companies who care about gender equity. I am Sophie Luray and in this podcast, I want to open a dialogue about the notion of equivalence and how it looks like in everyday personal actions and corporate decisions. I invite change agents, men and women who are making it happen in their team, industry, and communities to talk about their journey, their practical tips, their moments of doubt and epiphanies. I hope you enjoy it and tell us what you want to hear about at hello at evelist.org. Welcome to Equivalence Podcast. COVID-19 taught us a lot, and one of the lessons we can draw is on the importance organizations place on their people. What is left from mission statements when a crisis hits? Amongst minority groups, women are the first to suffer the consequences of the current situation. They are overrepresented in sectors that were hit the hardest, and they make a big majority of part-time workers. Another main reason could be that the workforce is not designed with their need in mind. It was never, but this global lockdown revealed it in a dramatic way. So according to McKinsey's latest post-COVID report, women in senior leadership are thinking of their engagement in their company or simply to leave the workforce altogether. They are 1.5 more likely than men to happen. It is a total waste for the organization that invested in them. And a new generation of employees is joining the market and expecting to be heard, to be seen, to be understood in the company that they will contribute to. On the other hand, our employers, and they're under several kinds of pressure market, economic uncertainty, shareholders' demands, but also from within. So attracting and retaining the best talents and creating workspaces that are not only diverse, but also inclusive is the challenge of tomorrow's enterprise. So how do we recruit for success in a global, complex, and fast-paced world? How can we use technology to support us, especially in areas where we, humans, may not always have it right? So to talk about that today, I invited a woman I've had the pleasure to collaborate with for many years, serial entrepreneur, Hélène McGuire. Helen is the CEO and co-founder of a tech startup, Diversity, based in Singapore. Before that, she founded the first women's career platform in the Middle East, Upscotch, and it grew to a worldwide community. Helen began her career in London, achieving her dream role at BBC Radio 1 in her early 20s, producing award-winning shows and eventually presenting her own monthly radio program, airing in over 15 countries globally. She DJed and she wrote for top music publication and traveled the world interviewing artists. Ellen is a mother of three young children and lives now in Singapore, following a few years in Dubai, where we actually met and collaborated on several projects. So welcome, Ellen, to Equivalence Podcast. Thank you for accepting our invitation.
1: Thank you, Sophie. It's so nice to be here.
0: So as I mentioned earlier on because you've you've had many lives already you're still extremely young though you want to tell us a little bit about that journey that especially the bit about entrepreneurship you've worked in the corporate world but in a very entrepreneurial way so what brought you from radio to be the captain of your own ship Yeah, it's a really good
1: question. And as you rightly say, I do sometimes feel like I've lived a number of very different lives over the last 20, 25 years. I think entrepreneurship has always been something of a goal for me. My dad was an entrepreneur. His dad was an entrepreneur. My husband is an entrepreneur and also comes from an entrepreneurial family. How many more times can I say entrepreneur in one sentence? So, <laughs> I think it's always been something that I've looked towards doing, always felt that I would at some point start my own business, and certainly had ideas along the way. So, even when I was working in radio and then in digital advertising, you know, I always had these kind of half ideas or directions that I might go in if I were to leave that particular company. But it really wasn't until I moved to Dubai. And, you know, as you know, Sophie, there are so many gaps in the market, let's say, in the Middle East. And one of the biggest gaps is opportunities for women. And when I had my first baby in 2014. That became incredibly obvious to me, that there were just so many talented women there with really nowhere to put their talents. The workplace was not set up for them. It was very traditional, very kind of nine to five, no flexible work. And I felt that actually businesses did need this talent. You know, there is a huge market for the types of roles that women that I knew did and the background that they had. And they were certainly ready and willing to go back to work. So I set up Hopscotch, as you rightly said, back in 2016 with that goal in mind. And, you know, I'd never run my own business or had any direct experience doing that. So it really was kind of baptism of fire (laughs) off at the deep end. All of those things rolled into one.
0: I remember very well the launch. And and, uh, tell us, uh, because you said it was baptism of fire, but it was as well uh, a great success. What did you see when you were doing Hopscotch? You said there was gaps. Um, What were you feeling the most? Did you feel was an achievement when Hopscotch grew in this region? I'd be interested to know.
1: Yeah, I think, number one, the fact that it worked at all was probably an achievement. I mean, (laughs) honestly, you know, I remember kind of sitting there at seven months pregnant with my second child at that point with a press release, a very sort of basic website where women could sign up. We didn't really have any clients at that stage, even though we'd done lots of research and we had the stats to prove that clients were, in fact, looking for more flexible workers and were looking for more women. And we certainly knew that there was appetite on the women's side, but no one had ever tried to really put them together before or give them a platform where they could connect. So when Mm -hmm. I kind of pressed send on that press release, I was honestly overwhelmed by the response that we had. You know, I could see people registering on the site every minute, two minutes, And then we got a call from HSBC within the first few weeks saying, can you run three events for us for women as part of their Mother's Day campaign? And it really kind of snowballed from there. I would say the thing that I'm most proud of is building that community in the first place, which did eventually stretch to be a global community, even though As a business, and one of the failings, I would say, of that business and and the reason that I founded Diversely was that we could only really help a certain number of women on a monthly basis. Couldn't scale it. Exactly. We couldn't scale it. It was a very in-person business model, just the way that it was set up and the way that things were working at that point. But we did have this huge global community. We did have lots of interest. And we launched really interesting initiatives like back to work initiatives, which had never been launched in the Middle East before just weren't really heard of roundtables, you know opportunities for women to get their voices heard and to get in front of the right people so yeah. it was a stepping stone and it definitely helped you know a proportion of women for sure
0: and i assume you learned a lot from organizations that you served right
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the limitations as well of those organisations. I think you presume that when somebody says they want something, that as an entrepreneur, you think, well, that's going to happen tomorrow. And in actual fact, you know, for some of the contracts that we were signing, it was taking 18 months to a year just to get those contracts in place and to get things moving in the right direction. Because the Middle East and APAC or or Southeast Asia, which are the two areas that I've worked in as an entrepreneur, they are quite challenging where DNI and where women and and women in the workforce are concerned. They are not as progressed as Europe. They are not as progressed as the UK and the US. And there's that kind of lag, really. And I think, to be honest, we were probably just a little bit ahead of the curve, a little bit ahead of mm. our time with hopscotch. And you know, I certainly saw it pick up once the Me Too movement happened, and you know, those types of things where it was forced into the public consciousness, if you like. But it mm-hmm. was a bit like pushing over uphill at times. It was definitely a huge challenge.
0: I remember uh, since we were in similar kind of work of advocacy, it was definitely pioneering work at times. But you, you see the results. It's been really uh, an amazing journey to see how at least the Middle East has progressed and has moved towards diversity or at least gender diversity. I have a, a question because you mentioned your first child. Your first child was born in 2000, what, 16? 2014, yeah. And since then you had two more and two businesses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I have five children, really. <laughs> exactly. And I'm not it's counting your big. husband. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So you you collaborated with your husband. You had three children in the process. How, how does all of that work together? Tell us, <laughs> tell us the recipe. It's a good question. Look, I think it comes
1: from a philosophy of, that I had at the time of, I was in my mid thirties when I had my first child. And I felt that these were my kind of what I termed at the time output years, and I guess still are, but I saw that period of time as just a golden opportunity just to get things done. And I think that, you know, I always had the ambition of having my own business. I equally always had the ambition of having three kids, although we nearly stopped at two, but we decided to go for it. And Mm. it was a case of just being as pragmatic as possible. And of course, you can't forget that as a woman here in in Singapore now and and in Dubai, I was super lucky because I could have help. So a lot of the sort of day to day stuff that, you know, say I've been living in back in London or whatever, I would have had to have taken care of. I could delegate. And that was just an incredibly fortunate position to be in. And I had a, a very sort of clear philosophy on that as well. I really wanted my kids to be exposed to different ways of thinking and different people so I was very happy to put them in nursery at eight months old my mum was not so happy with that decision and really kind of couldn't understand why on earth I would want to put my kids in that situation but you know even she now says oh I think it's done in the world you know they're very very confident independent happy kids Mm. and I think it just comes from that mindset so no, I mean, it's, it's definitely not been easy. I mean, it certainly was incredibly challenging when I first got to Singapore in 2018, landed kind of five weeks pregnant with number three, you know, had the task of launching Hopscotch here at that point. And I would say there were definitely points where obviously the business had to take a back seat, but it also pushed me in a different direction. You know, those challenges essentially pushed me further towards where I am now, I would say.
0: Yeah, I was about to say, sometimes having that type of, if I can call it pressure, but the fact that you have the children, the responsibility, the business, it pushes you into making the decision that you would probably procrastinate if you had a little bit of more space, you know, headspace and and space in your life. So it can be actually a good thing.
1: And I think it forces you to be super organized, very pragmatic in terms of the way you're approaching your business and what you're trying to achieve. You know, I have to say that now, you know, having almost launched diversely, but with a co-founder, touch wood, but how much easier I found it. Because doing Hopscotch on my own, you know, as you said, I co-founded it with Justin, my husband, but I was the day-to-day. I was the CEO. I was Mm. running the business. I was making all the key decisions and all the activity and so on. So the pressure of that and also just not really knowing what I was doing, you know, making mistakes as mm. you go along and trying to figure things out and building, literally just building bridges as you go is also mm-hmm. very stressful. And I think, you know, as you say, we had a lot of success with that business, but there are things that I've done differently this time because of it. And I think, you know, where the kids are involved as well, you just have to get it done and you are under yeah. more pressure, but when you have time to do things, you are so much more focused And you really learn to get things done quickly and make decisions
0: quickly. For sure. You don't waste any time. Uh, So let's actually talk about that. Let's talk about how you pivoted. So You arrived in Singapore, five weeks pregnant with the idea of expanding hopscotch success into Southeast Asia. And then what? (laughs) How did you pivot from traditional recruitment to tech?
1: I was just getting super frustrated. When I moved out of Dubai, I still had a team in Dubai, of course, and then, you know, had a small team here in Singapore. But what I was really noticing was when I wasn't at the forefront of everything, it just didn't move as quickly. It didn't move as well, you know, it was my business and, and I understood it. But I'm also not a recruiter. So I've never worked directly in recruitment. I've never been a recruiter. And I never engaged in that, even when I had hopscotch. And the challenge was that there were too many different moving parts to the business. So you always needed kind of the good recruitment element of it. But you also needed the marketing. You also needed the events. And unless I was kind of at the forefront of all of that, which I just couldn't be across two different time zones, two different places, as well as trying to expand it here, we just weren't seeing, you know, Southeast Asia is just a very different market to the Middle East. So here, actually, the challenges, particularly in Singapore, is not so much female-based. Yes, they still have some work to do, but it wasn't the same market that I'd picked up on in Dubai back in 2015, 2016. So the challenges were, were different, and the business model essentially also was slightly different. So it was almost like running two different businesses across two different time zones. And... You know, as an in-person business, as you rightly said at the beginning, it's incredibly difficult to scale. You just don't get that scalability. And I was just becoming so frustrated with the fact that we had these kind of 80,000 women who were in Russia and Brazil and New Zealand and South Africa and, you know, obviously here in the region as well, that we couldn't get to. And the most that we could do was write a nice blog article for them and hope that that sort of set them on the right path, which is just not enough. Mm. And I knew that the answer lay in scaling. I knew that the answer for scaling lay in tech. I knew that I needed to create something that really drove to the heart of the problem rather than kind of sitting in the tree branches, if you like, sort of looking down at everything. And I didn't know exactly what, what that answer was. It took me a two year, two and a half year journey to get to that point. But I was pretty determined not to give up you know, it was definitely, look, I've come this far. I know there's a huge problem to solve. I just have to find a way of solving it.
0: That's interesting what you're saying about what makes your success as an in-person business is also the risk of downfall because you cannot scale, because you cannot replicate yourself everywhere, because you burn out in the process and because often in your heart, you know that you're not responding fully to the problem that you can see in front of you. It's very interesting what you're saying. I experience exactly the same thing. So I see exactly where you're coming from. But two years process, fine. And so where is the epiphany? Because it's, it's one thing to know that you need to do something different. It's another to actually make it happen. So tell us about that process, I, I I think you were part of a program at Antler, mm. and that's when things start moving, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. So I had my third baby in the beginning of 2019, and I remember literally a few weeks after she was born, I was in an investor meeting with a VC. <laughs> it Was not fun. I went down that track for a good few months, and then thought, no, you know, this idea that I have for scaling hopscotch—that's just not going to work. We're not at point. You know, I didn't have a tech co-founder. That was the problem. So I did have an idea of how I wanted to scale Hopscotch particularly. But, you know, we get some good points with investors and VCs and they'd say, "Okay, please introduce me to your tech co-founder who's going to make this possible. And I did not have one. And I spent probably a few months going backwards and forwards with various different people who got the problem and who wanted to come on board, but it didn't work out. It's incredibly difficult to find a co-founder, I'm sure, as you know. Mm and. You know, I just wasn't really getting anywhere and, oh, you know, I was so frustrated about the whole thing. And through that process, we started just talking to anyone, you know, sometimes I think when you've got a real problem that you need to solve, talk to anyone who will stand still for long enough and who will listen to you because you never know who they know who might be able to help you solve that problem. And so any kind of clients that I spoke to, any kind of connections in the tech space, I'd always bring up this issue. And we were having a meeting with one such person and he said, oh, have you heard of Antler? And I said, nope. And this was probably October maybe of 2019. He said, oh, yeah, you know, this is what they do. They try to help you find a co-founder in whatever space you need and you go through the program and they help you develop ideas and support you, not to build the business, it's definitely not startup school and inverted commas, but it is there to support you in those early days to get towards those ideas and to find the right person to work with. And I said, nope, never heard of that. And went and looked it up, literally applied within half an hour and went through sort of five rounds of interviews with them and was offered the place on Antler in January, 2020. And they said, look, you know, we really like you. We don't like your current business model. So please don't bring that into the program. (laughs) I said, that's fine. We like your background. We like what you're trying to solve. Come on board. So that was, yeah, that was January 2020. And I did three months. It's a three-month program. Went through that for three months. And yeah, that is where the idea for diversity was born. Because I gave myself the opportunity to step back. You know, and to be out at work for all day, every day, and to dedicate my time to that. You know, my baby had turned one at that point. The other two were at school. I had a bit more brain space, really. A little bit, not a lot, but, you know, something. And I thought, this is the opportunity just to dedicate myself to trying to find a solution to this problem and to trying to find the right person to work with.
0: Yeah, you had something else as well, I will say, because you're too uh, humble to say it. You had the humility to know where your limits were and to go find someone that can fill that gap. And that's the key to success, especially when it comes to scaling, because you stay a in-person business if you don't have that. Okay, well, I'm good at certain things, but there's things I'm not good at. Let go and find that person. So uh, kudos to you. Talking about that, and then we'll talk about what diversity is all about. But since we're in that space, you and Haley, your co-founder, are leading now the venture. Two women. I want to know everything. So you didn't know each other. You were basically were put on a blind date. (laughs) Not not really blind, right? But you were you were founded by Antler, right? That's that's how it worked. You were matched together
1: actually, no. Sorry to correct you on that. But basically, I went through Antler, but I didn't find the co-founder that that I was going to work with. (laughs) So I did work with quite a number of people in Antler and huge kudos to them for everything that they helped me with, definitely, both those people and Antler itself. But we didn't make it through to actually co-found the business together, all very amicable, um, but you know, had very different kind of ideas and, and approaches mm-hmm. and visions for the future. And so I finished there at the end of March, I think, and we'd just gone into lockdown in Singapore, which was actually mm-hmm. quite a blessing in disguise for me because it gave me an opportunity just to step back, look at what I had on the table, which was hopscotch as a separate business and the original idea for diversity, which was a very kind of, I guess, small percentage of, of what it is now and look at how I could build out those visions look at what was important look at where we could scale and I really sort of took a month during lockdown just just to explore that and listen to a lot of stuff read a lot of stuff you know just took some time to think and by the time I got to the end of April probably last year I had a very clear vision of, of what I wanted diversely to be and what I wanted it to solve which was much more broad, I guess, in its vision than where I had been within Antler. And I thought, okay, but I still don't have this bloody tech co-founder. Where am I going <laughs> to find this person? And it was very strange. I was driving around one day. Suddenly I thought, why don't I give Hayley a call? And Haley was at that time the MD of Girls in Tech here in Singapore. We had worked mm-hmm. together previously with Hopscotch and Girls in Tech. She also had her own tech offshoring business. So she was very sort of product tech oriented, has a financial background, and we'd always just got on really well. Um, There'd always been a really good sort of connection between us whenever we'd spoken, whenever we'd met for coffee or whatever. And I thought, I'm just going to give her a call and see what she thinks. And I was on the phone. Well, we were on the phone for about an hour and a half. And the conversation just kind of kept going and going and going. And eventually she said, look, you know, I really love this idea. I was also going to join Antler in the next round, which would have been June of last year. Oh, amazing. So why don't we just see where this idea goes and start working on it? And because we never worked together and we were in lockdown. Mm -hmm. So we were like, we don't know how this is going to work, but let's just give it a go. And it just honestly just went from strength to strength and we have so far still not fallen out which I think is a <laughs> I think is um quite remarkable considering the last year and yeah you know we set up the company officially in June of last year and obviously Haley didn't go on to join Antler because we'd solved the thing that Antler <laughs> solved which is finding a co-founder so done
0: Super cool. It's fabulous to see when serendipity, you know, brings strength to that project. When it's meant to be, it's meant to be. That's it. And the whole process you both went through was exactly for that moment. How has it been received so far by investors as both female co-founders?
1: I don't like the word lucky, particularly, but I do feel very lucky with where we are, particularly with the investors that we have. And look, I mean, I learned a lot during Antler about investment and how that whole world works, because it is a whole different ballgame. And unless you kind mm-hmm. of know how to play that game, it is very, very challenging. But when Haley and I set up the company, I had absolutely no doubt that we were going to find people to invest in this business. And by the end of last year, we would closed, our aim was 200,000 US, we would closed 325,000 US with 13 international investors. And wow. that is a great story. But the other side to that story is the amount of people that you speak to that say, mm, no one said it was a bad idea. No one was saying, you know, oh, this, is, this is a terrible idea. But, you know, they just weren't willing to put their money where their mouth was. Yeah. So you do have to be a sort of super salesman on that front, a salesperson, should I say, on that front, and really kind of knock on so many different doors and talk to anybody that you can and any kind of network you can tap into and really just go for it because it's a numbers game, really. And I think that's why we overshot the mark quite significantly, because we really went for it.
0: Yeah, and that's, that's one thing that it's definitely a strength you have is that you're a comms person so you 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 could use as well that background and when you believe in what you do I've seen you you go for it you don't go uh, halfway definitely so tell us a a bit more about what's the proposition of diversity because we've tipped around it we've talked about funding (laughs) and everything but what is it exactly (laughs) That's a good point. Yeah, so
1: Diversely is a set of bias-free hiring tools. So we've created AI-driven software that essentially reduces bias in the hiring process. And we start right at the very beginning from helping businesses understand exactly where their diversity is. So we Mm -hmm. run diversity insights reports, And we focus not just on gender, but across five different types of diversity, which kind of marked us out as quite different in our market. And then we go on to help businesses set their goals and their targets and understand exactly what those need to be, and then reduce bias and increase inclusivity in their job ads. So we've built an interface with our partners at the University of Nottingham that helps businesses to understand exactly where any bias occurs in their language, but also in the structure of their job ads. And again, across five different types of diversity, not just gender. so they receive a score that they can then receive recommendations on the language and the structure to improve that score before posting it out to both niche and global job boards And then all of the candidates that come back into their account are completely anonymized. You know, they can also see where the underrepresented groups are within those candidate pools as well. And we're focused quite heavily on partnering with more niche job boards. So those that offer opportunity to underrepresented groups in the workforce, because what we want to do is obviously increase inclusivity in order to help businesses improve their reach out to more diverse talent and essentially find the best person for the job. Because if they're only focusing on a very, very small sector of the population, how do they know what else is out there? How do they know what kind of talent
0: they're actually missing? Absolutely, absolutely. So you're launching now, almost one year after starting? Almost, yeah, exactly.
1: So our soft launch is in May. And we're building a wait list now for our official launch, which is towards the end of June. And we've got some brilliant clients on board, clients like Deutsche Bank, Ogilvy, WeWork, Foodpanda, lots of regional clients here, clients in the US, UK, Australia. So, you know, we're very much a global business that's accessible to all. And it's all available on subscription, which, again, is something that we wanted to make sure was the case because of you know including different businesses globally again the point around scalability but not only scalability of the business but scalability of the solution you know so that it's not just in a focused area but actually it's solving the problem for businesses everywhere
0: talking about you you, you were mentioning that it's a, it's a global business which is important what do you see as trends in the market because uh, covid has changed the way workspace will be working but Obviously, the way recruitment needs to be thought. So what are your insights so far and advice as well for recruiters?
1: Yeah, I think what we're essentially seeing is that diversity and inclusion has jumped to the top of so many businesses' Mm -hmm. agendas. I think over the last year with, obviously, George Floyd, last year with the impact that the pandemic has had on, on women globally in work, but also the opportunity that that has afforded businesses. There's some Glassdoor research that showed that the numbers of people employed with DNI in their title has increased by 70% over the last year. And I think we're now seeing not just a sort of glorified events person in that role, but actually somebody who's tasked to really change the way a business look and, and works. So there is, is huge opportunity for underrepresented groups. The fact that many businesses are operating remote work policies is also a great opportunity. And you know, I've read some horrible statistics, particularly in the US about the numbers of women that have dropped out of the workforce and, and lost their jobs. And that's definitely the case. But I think what we'll see moving forward is those numbers rebound quite dramatically because if women have the option of working from home once their kids have gone back to school of course and have the option of working more flexible hours and aren't tied to offices then really that's a huge barrier that's come down just in the last 12 months where women in the workforce are concerned so yes it's a bit of a bleak picture now but we're seeing such interest in diversity and inclusion and You know, not just from a let's do an event, let's speak on a panel, let's do a a bit of this and a bit of that, but actually a cohesive way forward of making sure that underrepresented groups are included in the workforce.
0: I see what you're saying. Companies have no other choice but to do it any longer. So it's a transparent world as well. And people want to see, want to understand what companies they're working for, want to see them in real life what do they do do they live the values that they put across and we talk about women and their represented group but also the new generation that is coming to work yeah is a very different beast if i may say than we were it's going to be a great success diversity is really responding to a need and has birth at the right moment so you were mentioning how hopscotch earlier on in your career might have come just a little bit too early but Mm. think about it in a different way it was staging for this it brought you all that knowledge that now you can use and that will bring me to my last question do you have advice for female not only female actually for for founders for entrepreneurs I would say the first one is never take your failure for a failure. (laughs) It could be a staging for a great success later on. So what's your advice, your main learning point so far?
1: I'm actually going to steal somebody else's advice. So I, I was hosting a podcast the other day, and a dear friend of mine who I met on Anla Jingjin, who's founded a women's sexual wellness, the first women's sexual wellness platform here in Asia, who you should definitely interview, by the way. She's an absolutely fascinating character I asked her this question on the podcast that I was doing and she said and I think this is very true you can read as much as you want you can do an MBA you can take advice you know there's so much stuff out there now written about entrepreneurship and what women should do and what they shouldn't do she said you can only learn by doing it yourself you can only learn and fail and then learn again and that is the only way that you will be able to build your own company and actually you know quite often first companies are not your biggest successes but you know as you just said just now the lessons that you learn from that will point you in the right direction but you can only do it by doing it yourself and by learning those hard lessons yourself you cannot do it reading it off a page or listening to a podcast. So I guess what I'm saying is don't take any of my advice, just go out and do it yourself.
0: <laughs> I'm into that. Well, it was a pleasure as usual. I wish you amazing lounge and I'm sure that's what's going to happen. Tell us, tell us, tell us where we can stay in contact with you if anyone wants to see what you're doing, your news and everything. Give us some
1: connecting points. Oh, thanks, Sophia. I really loved our chat. So thank you very much. And for sure, so you can obviously head to diversely.io. All the information is there and and you can get in touch. But equally, I'd love it if anyone has any questions or, you know, wants to point me in a different direction. Helen at diversely.io is my email address. Always happy to have a chat and hear people's perspectives.
0: Great. Have a wonderful evening in Singapore, I guess. It's my morning here and speak to you very soon. Thank you. Thanks, you Take care. Bye. You enjoyed this conversation, but you had a lot of questions still to ask the guest? Well, now it's possible with Will Digital Talks. Join us on willforum.com. W-I-L forum.com. Every month, We will have great conversation with people that are changing the game in arts, in literature, in politics, in business and in science, followed by sessions where you get to ask them any questions you want for 30 minutes straight. Also, you get to meet with other participants and have speed networking sessions with them to see if you form a friendship or mentorship or maybe sometimes do business. Join us every month, willforum.com, w-i-l-forum.com.